we are once again considering the the overall topic of focusing on the Christ, and uh, we have progressed through the shadow of Christ, the life of Christ, the return of Christ, and the reign of Christ, and are currently looking at the reflection of Christ. And uh, we begin this um, uh, a couple weeks ago, and last week we began looking at part two of the reflection of Christ as we began looking at finances. But as we've considered a reflection of Christ, I want to just as a quick reminder in this subset, is looking at the statement as when Christ is residing and reigning in your heart, then it will be reflected in your life. What we say and how we live is will be a reflection of who or what is living in our hearts. And so again, as I've stated, that if Christ is there living in your hearts, then what's going to come out in your life is Christ. And though the world may not understand that it's Christ, they're going to understand that there's something different from you. And the reality is that Paul says to the Philippians, he says, you know, do all things without murmuring and disputing that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights of the world, holding forth the word of life. And the reality is, is as this country, as this crooked and perverse nation that we live amongst of, as it becomes darker and darker, what should happen with light? It should be brighter and brighter and brighter. There should be no no mistaking that those who are of the light and those who are of darkness. You know, we talked about that when the return of Christ. It says, you know, that we are not of darkness, that this day should overtake us like those who are in darkness. But we're of the light. And we should be in the Word, Tammy, like you were saying in, in the testimony, such that when I'm out of the Word, when I'm not in the presence of God, I should be yearning for the presence of God. I should, I should miss Him. I should miss that. And so I love that. I mean, it was a testimony. You weren't preaching. It was just a testimony. But that preached. <laughs> that, that, you know, and think about it. If, if that's not my life, it's not your life, you're never going to be a reflection of Him out in the world. If the minute you leave His presence, it means nothing to you, then you're going to look just like the world and not like him. Does that make sense? So last week we began looking at that in our, our finances, in our treasures. And we looked at Matthew 6 when Jesus said, and it's kind of a parallel passage to our Bible reading this morning from Luke chapter 12, where Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, for where moth and rust destroy and thieves break into steel, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is... There your heart will be also. Where your treasures are on this earth is going to be an indicator of what really means the most to you. It's going to be an indicator of what your greatest love is, where your heart is. And so as we talked originally in the Reflection of Christ about out of the the depths of the heart, the mouth speaks and that our words and how we use our mouth is going to be a reflection of Christ. And if he's dwelling in my heart, so where my finances are, what I do with my the resources, financial resources that God has given to me is going to be a reflection of who's reigning in my heart, whether it's Christ or someone else. Last week, as we considered this, we looked at three principles and started introducing the fourth principle, which we're going to spend more time on today. The first principle is the principle of lordship. And you can see at the end of that passage where Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. You're either going to serve one or you're going to serve the other. You're either going to serve God or you're going to serve the things that money buys. Materialism or the word there is mammon. And so you can't serve both. You can't have a foot on both sides of the fence. You've got to decide which side of the fence you're living on. You know, you can't, I think back to the um, Facing the Giants movie, if you've seen that movie, you know, where, where the coach turns to the assistant coach after he's kind of come in between the, the trustee or whatever who's trying to oust him as the head coach, and he walks up to Brady and he says to him, he says, Brady, you need to decide which side of the fence you're on. You can't have a foot on both sides. And if you would, make that God and make that you. God coming up and saying, Bob, you got to decide which side of the fence you're on. You can't have a foot on both sides. You're not doing anybody any good. And so, insert your name. Which side of the fence are you on when it comes to the finances? Are you laying up treasures on earth or are you laying up treasures in heaven? Who's the Lord of your wallet? Who's the Lord of your bank account? Well, the second principle is the principle of ownership, where we looked at the fact that all the earth belongs to the Lord. God owns everything. He owns us. He owns the entire earth. And so, therefore, everything I own, quote-unquote, I really don't ultimately own. I'm just a what? 
I'm just a manager. I'm just a steward of it. God ultimately is the owner of it. Well, if I'm a steward, and we'll talk about that in a moment, the third principle is the principle of discipleship. If he is my Lord, if he is my master, and I recognize the fact that he owns everything, that I ought to desire to know how he wants me to use what he's given to me. That's the concept of discipleship. I want to be taught by him and not by everyone else. And so in Proverbs 3, yes, it says, Trust in the Lord, trust in Yahweh with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding in all your ways. And we say all your ways, but then he goes on in verse 9, just after it, talking about my possessions. And in verse 14, talking about wisdom from the monetary side. And so the reality is it's even understanding in the Old Testament that the thing that's nearest and dearest to every individual is the stuff, the financial stuff, the materialism they have on the on the earth. And so if I'm going to trust in Yahweh with all my heart, leaning not on my own understanding, acknowledge him in all my ways, the very first and foremost place other than my mouth that that's going to be revealed is how I treat finances. What I do with the resources that he's given to me to use for his glory. Well, that then leads into the the principle that we want to begin looking at more today. I introduced last week and said that we were going there. I told you that I left you those blank lines um, on last week's um, sermon note sheet so that you could do a little um, homework ahead of time. I won't ask how many tried to fill those in ahead of time or how many even remembered. But um, we want to look at the administration of finances, the financial resources. We want to look at acquisition of them. And ultimately, we want to look at the appropriation of those resources as well. Today... Um, the goal, Lord willing, is to look at the administration of the financial resources and the acquisition of those financial resources. As we consider the administration of the financial resources, I want to consider a couple of verses real quick that all have one thing in common. And I think that you can see based upon the, the slide here, 1 Corinthians 4, verse 2, what that principle is going to be. And it says, moreover, it is required in stewards, ones who are managing somebody else's stuff, okay, that one be found what? Faithful. Now, interestingly, in the Greek, that word is pistos. And pistos can be translated faithful, but the word faithful there is understood by how it also can be translated, and it is worthy of a trust. They are trustworthy. Many times in, in the financial realm, when we talk about accounts, banking accounts, and stuff like that, many times they're referred to as a what? A trust fund. A trust fund. Because it's one in whom is placed a trust. And so the question is, right off the bat, as a steward of God's money, as a steward of God's ownership uh, things, okay, are you trustworthy? Are you faithful? Well, we read as well in Luke 16, it says, He who is faithful in what is least is also going to be what? Faithful in much. He who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon huh if you haven't been faithful with that green stuff who will commit to yourself who will commit to your trust true riches now as we came out of matthew 6 originally and we're talking about laying up treasures in heaven what do you think if the unrighteous mammon is the green stuff in the world what do you think true riches are the kingdom message the souls of men yeah. If you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters. Sounds familiar, right? For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. The same concept that he was bringing out in Matthew chapter 6, he's speaking again but from a different context, from a different perspective, and he brings out another shade of this whole thing. And listen. It's not even just a matter of laying up for yourself treasures in heaven rather than treasures on earth, but this is a matter of the test of your stewardship, of your faithfulness as a steward of the things of God. God has given to you more resources than most of the people on the face of this earth. The question you have to ask yourself is, did he give it to you so you could spend it on you, or did he give it to you so you could spend it on his kingdom? And if you cannot be trusted, if you're going to squander, and if you're going to steal, and if you're going to take, and you're going to, and you're going to make it yours for the stuff that he gives you for the unrighteous mammon of the world, what would you do with the souls of men? I mean, what are the treasures that you're laying up in heaven? I, I guarantee you it's not silver and gold. 
You heard the, 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 the joke, I'm sure, of the, the, the man, the rich man who had all the gold, and he wanted to take it with him. You know, you know it says you, you can't take it with you, but he wanted to take it with him, and so he, he prayed, and God gave him a special dispensation that he could take a bag of gold with him. And he got to the pearly gates, and he gets to the gates, and Peter's there, you know, checking everybody out as he comes in, and he says, what's in the bag? He says, oh, God said I could bring it. He says, okay, fine, what's in the bag? He said, well, well God said I could bring this in. He's still what? He's still worried about his, his gold, you know, it's all his. He doesn't want to worry about giving it. He says, listen, God may say you brought it in, but God also told me that I'm in charge of the gate. So if you want in, show me what's in the bag. So the guy, relentless, you know, just kind of opens up the bag to show it to him. And he says, more asphalt. Because <laughs> heaven is what? It's paved with gold. This guy wanted to bring what he thought was the greatest riches, but you know in heaven it's just something you walk on. And we think, oh, we want more and more and more. And God says, you missed it. You haven't got a clue what the true riches are. This world is going to do what one day? It's going to be burned up. But what about the souls of men? They're going to go on eternally. The true riches are those things which belong to God and his, his kingdom. And what was exciting in the passage that we read this morning is that he gave encouragement to his disciples and said what to them? Right there at the end. Does anybody remember from Luke 12 when we read it? When Steve was reading that this morning? I've given you the what? The kingdom. It's ours to be grasped. He calls out to us, send forth what? Laborers. The fields are white in the harvest. They're just lacking people who are willing to leave the things of the world to work in the fields of the kingdom. Pray, therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into the field. But we're afraid, like you said, Tammy, of praying those kind of prayers, right? Because what happens when we pray the prayer, God, you need to send somebody out there to start witnessing to people. What's going to happen? He's going to call you. And we don't want that. So when I start praying, God, be glorified in my wallet, guess what happens? I start getting a conviction about what happens with my hand in and out of that wallet. Turn with me to Luke 19. Luke chapter 19. Where we start reading verse 12. A parable that many of you will know as well. But again... Many of this stuff is we just need to be reminded of. This, therefore, Jesus said, a certain nobleman went to a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he called ten of his servants, delivered to them ten minas, and said to them, do business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. And so it was that when he returned, having received the kingdom, he then commanded these servants... He then commanded these servants, to whom he had given the money, to be called to him, and he, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first, saying, Master, your mina has earned ten minas. And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you were what? Faithful. Because you were faithful in a very little, have authority over ten, king, over ten cities. And the second came and said, Master, your mina has earned five minas. There, likewise, he said to him, you also be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Master, here is your mina, which I have kept, put away in a handkerchief. For I feared you, because you are an austere man. You collect what you did not deposit, and reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, out of your own mouth I will judge you, you wicked servant. Not faithful, wicked. You knew that I was an austere man, collecting what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank that at my coming I might have at least collected it? I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to him who has ten minas. Very clearly, when Christ was given this parable, he's given a principle. And it's a principle of faithfulness. The faithfulness of a steward. Now, I understand the ultimate application here is talking about what? The spiritual things. What are you doing with the spiritual things that he's given you? But I think the application as well is to the financial things as well, because he's using that illustration for us. What does God expect me to do with financial resources if I'm a steward of those that which is his? He expects me to use it for his glory, not to squander it. Do you understand? 
I mean, what did the one guy do? He just took it and he did what? He squirreled it away. Ultimately, what did he get in trouble for? For not using it. The very minimum he could have done was to put it in a bank and let it earn interest. But he squandered it. He did nothing with it. God has given to you and to me more resources again than the majority of people on the face of this earth. What am I doing as a steward with what he has given me? Am I seeking to use it for his kingdom or not? Well, that's the administration of our stewardship. How we're supposed to administer the stewardship. We're supposed to administer it what? Well, sum it up one word. Faithfully. Faithfully. I'm supposed to administer it in a trustworthy manner, right? Well, now, the next step then is, in that, in stewardship, there's really a two-part system going on here, right? I what? I get money, and I do what? I spend money, okay? And so, that I mean, that's, that's breaking finances down in a nutshell. It's, I'm getting it, and I'm spending it. I'm getting it, I'm distributing it. However, what words you want to use. Here, we're going to use the words acquisition and appropriation, okay? Because they were A's, and they, they fit nice in the, uh, you know, and they, they end with the shin. So it's just kind of alliterated, and it works real well. Um, I'm, I'm honest, okay? I'm honest. You don't think these things just happen, you know, by random chance to you. Anyways, I love the dictionary. Anyways, and so the acquisition of our, of our resources, the acquisition of finances. Well, when we look at it, again, we're going to be looking at some principles that we want to apply. I can't come into your house and tell you specifically, this is what you've got to do with the money. You know, how much did he give you? Oh, okay. Here's how much you got to spend here. How much you got. This is between you and God. All I can do is give you the principles that God has laid out in his word, okay? And, and you have to apply it then to your life. Well, first of all, in this acquisition of resources, we got to consider the priority that we have in our life when it comes to this. Now, all these passages you have on your sermon note sheet, they're from, book, from the book of Proverbs, I have up on the screen, okay? After that, we go to the New Testament. We're going to be looking those up. Okay, so you can kind of look ahead and know that we're going to be we're heading in that direction and, and be there as well. But what does it say about priority? Okay, first of all, Proverbs ten verse two says, "The treasures of wickedness profit nothing, but righteousness delivers from death. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death." Do you see a similarity between those two proverbs? What delivers me from death? Righteousness. Okay. My own righteousness? Well, clearly, no, we understand that. My own righteousness is like a what? A filthy rag, okay? Whose righteousness? The righteousness of, of Christ. If I am living in a righteous manner because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ that's dwelling within me, which means that if he's living and reigning in my heart, then I'm going to do what? I'm going to reflect him in my life. Does that make sense? It all kind of goes back to it. So if the righteousness of Christ is infused in my heart and he's reigning in my heart, what's going to come out? the righteousness of Christ in my life. Does that make sense? It just kind of flows for me. I don't know about you. Okay, and so if I'm living that way, then it's going to deliver me from death. Well, what's death? I mean, does it mean that I'm never going to die? If I'm living righteously, especially with the finances of, of, that God has given me, and I'm being the great steward, I'm going to live forever. No, that doesn't mean that. What's death? The wages of sin is? Separation from God. Death. Separation from, from God. And ultimately, you have the physical, you have the spiritual, and you have the eternal death or separations that are going on there. Physically, I separate from my body. That's physical death. Spiritually, most people, until they accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, are what? Separated from God. They are spiritually dead. But if you never accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you get to that, that day of wrath, which is the day of judgment, right? What happens after that moment? You're eternally separated from God. There is the eternal death that goes on as well. Well, we're told that the treasures of wickedness profit nothing. In other words, in the end, you may have everything here on the earth, and you may get it all. But in the end, when you meet your maker, what's all that money going to do for you? Not a thing. Not a thing. And so, bring it into the realm of a believer. You're going to be one of those servants with those minas. And you're going to give an account for what you've done with it. Proverbs 22.1 says, A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. Loving favor rather than silver and gold. Which do you love more? Do you, would you rather have 
a good name in the eyes of God or silver and gold. I uh, mentioned this to Mark. Mark and I met at McDonald's yesterday morning. It was just yesterday morning, right? It was a long day yesterday. And, um, um, and I've never seen this before. Now, I've joked about this. You know, I, I'm, I'm Mr. Frugality here, and, and you got to know my mom and dad and how we joke about things sometimes. We never do it, but you just kind of joke about things. I mean, you know, joke about keeping your McDonald's cup, you know, and just rinsing it out and going back in and getting another cup of coffee. I saw it for the first time yesterday. This guy and I pulled in the parking lot at the same time, so I know he just got there. And he was standing behind me in line because I got through the... He walked up to the counter after I ordered with... It wasn't Mark. Yeah. <laughs> Good job, Mark. That's it. Mark ordered before me. And uh, with this McDonald's cup, a large McDonald's cup. And they gave him his what? Free refill. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong. Has McDonald's changed their, their, their rules on this one? It's You get free refills as long as you're what? As long as you're sitting there. Okay. Now, I don't know the guy, and I, I feel convicted. I told Mark later, I said, I, feel, I, I wanted to go over to the guy when he was getting his cream and sugar and ask him what his name was worth. I mean, you know, I'm already knowing what I'm preaching on, and I'm already meditating on this thing. And I, is your name worth Now, he's, he was, look about my age. I get the senior discount here, you know. And uh, so that means that coffee cost him 50-something cents, maybe 60. Should have. Should have. That's exactly right. Now, I don't know the guy. But in my esteem, I'm not his judge, but what he just indicated to me was he was worth being picked up as a shoplifter, because that's what it would be, for 60 cents. For 60 cents. Now, when we're going to get into the appropriation part next week, Lord willing, and we're maybe talk about (coughs) taxes um, a little bit in, in... but just suffice it to say, for here as a faithful steward in, in acquiring money, do I seek to shade on taxes so I can acquire a little bit more money? If you were at the store and they shortchanged you, would you make a big deal of it? If you got outside, if you got outside and you found out they gave you five dollars more, would you go back in? I, I I'm not saying this to glorify. Glorify Bob. I'm really not. Monday we had the homeschool spelling bee practice here. And and I thought I had everything worked out so I could have two microphones to get everything in. Anyways, the one connection didn't work, you know. And I'd already gone to Radio Shack that morning and, and got the piece I wanted. And it, that part worked, but another part didn't work. And so Ben and I had to go to Radio Shack, and we were looking for the thing. And I was going to order, and he says, well, didn't you want to find this piece too? A little splitter thing, you know. And I said, oh, yeah, yeah. So we went back, and we're looking, and da-da-da-da-da. Well, I had made the guy open up the package, the original package, so I could put it into my connector to make sure that it worked. Okay, that it fit nice and snug because the other one was loosey goosey. Okay, it's the difference of a one sixteenth fitting, right? It just doesn't work that way. So, so anyway, so it's out of the package and he has it. Okay, and then we're looking for this other thing and we couldn't find. You know, they only had the, the certain ends and then needed the other ends and you know. So we go up to the counter and he scans this package and puts it in to the to the bag for me and and I pay and and we come back. And we start working. Now, understand, I still have my, my new piece on my, my fitting because I clicked it in there to make sure that it worked. Okay? So we go and we get everything done and we're cleaning everything up and I got the Radio Shack bag and I go to pick up the Radio Shack bag expecting the Radio Shack bag to be very light. But it was a little heavier than I expected it to be. You know, I mean, we're talking ounces here. But still, it was a little bit... And I, and I reached in to grab the garbage that he was just putting in the empty package in and there's a package with a, with a, uh, a fitting in it. I ain't got a clue where that fitting came from. I don't remember even looking at it. But apparently he must have picked it up to show it to me, thinking that might be something I was looking for, and it wasn't what I was looking for, and he never put it back on the thing. And anyways, and as it turns out, I went back. And it was the hardest time trying to get these guys to understand that, no, actually, I did pay for this thing that I didn't want, but I do have the thing that I do want. And, and, and you know, so I'm good with it, but I don't have the package for that one because you had it. I never had, I mean, all I had was the thing connected, and you just scanned and put it in the bag, and I don't, you know, and so I don't really care, but honestly, it's an inventory thing for you guys. Somewhere along the line, someone's going to be looking for it, and you're going to think you have one. 
you know, but you really have some one of something else, and from the inventory control kind of concept, you probably want to know. And and so finally, the guy that worked came back in that had done it came back in, and I, I got him to understand what I was trying to explain to him. And so he looks in the garbage can, and sure enough, there's the empty package of the thing that I did have and should have bought. And so then we had to do a return on the thing that I did buy that didn't want, and he could run the you know, the the thing on the thing I did buy. Anyways, and I wound up saving 43 cents over the whole thing. Anyways, um, but the guys were just astounded that I came back in. I had a free part. And I did pay for something. So in, in their mind, I was what? I was good. Yeah, I was wasting my time. You paid for something, you got something. It's our fault, huh? Well, no, that's what? Stealing. I would be stealing. Even though it was only a part that was $6, whatever, 6 something. I mean, it wasn't that expensive. But again, what is your name worth? Do you get it? And so I had a great opportunity to, 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 to be a witness to them. You know, explain, this is stealing. If I keep it, I'm stealing. You know? And for them to... You know, hopefully during the rest of the day to kind of chew on that one and process, you know, this weirdo. And uh, anyways, so what's your name worth? Do you get it? When you want to just make a little extra money, you know, what what do, what do you want to do? Turn. Let's turn back to Luke 12. That's what our Bible reading was from this morning. Okay, in Luke 12, in just the first segment of the passage that we read this morning, that Steve read this morning, we read about this this man who is very rich, beginning in verse 16, actually. And, and he says to himself, he says, you know, what am I going to do with this stuff? I, I mean, I've got more than I need, and I, I can't get it all in my, in my barns. I can't get it in my silos. What am I going to do? He says, I got it. I'm going to give it to the poor. God has abundantly blessed me beyond what I can, what I can use, and so I'm, I'm going to make sure that I'm leaving it on the edges of my field so, you know, that the Levitical law can be... Um, be used, and that poor people can come in from the edges and they can glean the extra that God has blessed me with. He doesn't say that, does he? He says, I'm going to tear down barns. I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns, and I'm going to build bigger ones so I'm set up for retirement. So that in the days to come, I don't have to do anything. I can just retire. I don't have to work. Now, I'm not picking on retirement here. We'll talk about that when we get to appropriations, okay? I'm making some of you sweat, okay? Anyways, but the reality is, you can't, you can't hide from this one. That's basically an application of what he's saying here, okay? But what he's getting at here is this, in his acquisitions, is that God, in, in the acquisitions, God does, can do what? Multiply. Not just multiply, but he can meet your need over and abundantly above all that you ask or think. And sometimes in that acquisition, he does what for you? He blesses you above all that you ask or think. And he does it for a reason. It's not for you. What does he call this this rich man? A fool. He's a fool. Because he's missed the most important part of the whole thing. And that is, he doesn't own anything, including his own life. He says, you fool, tonight, tonight, your life will be required of you. Think about it. This guy thinks he's got the world by the tail. He's got it all. He's going to build bigger barns so he can put more in. Joseph thought he had it in Egypt. Man, I am I am there in my day. And God says, fine. I'm snuffing your life out tonight. Now whose is it? Now whose is it? Now your kids are going to fight over it. The government's going to come in and take an inheritance tax out of it. You know, whatever, you get it? Proverbs says that he lays up the wealth of the wicked for the, the righteous, the just. Priority. Priority. So as I consider the acquisition of financial resources, I have to consider what my priority is in life here. Am I more seeking money... So I can serve God with it. Or am I really more seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness, knowing that all these things will be what? Added to me. How many of you guys know the name of um, George Letourneau? 
Okay, one. A couple of my family ought to know. Okay. Hmm, you need to know who George Letourneau is. Now, George Letourneau, I know he sounds an awful like, like Joe Paterno, but no, they weren't related. Um, just the ending of the names were the same. None of you are Penn State fans. Anyways, um, but George Letourneau was the guy who designed all those big construction vehicles. You know, the, the things that have tires that are bigger than your house? You know, the big earth movers? And he, and he designed these things during the World War II. I think it was World War II era, and it was like for the engineering and stuff like that as they were doing all this kind of stuff. Well, you can see how big those things are. Well, he was the guy who designed those things and who got into business with it, and he made tons of money off that stuff. Now, the important thing about bringing up George Letourneau, other than he was the guy that made all you little guys, when, when you were little boys and you had those big, you know, Tonka things going, he was the reason you could have those Tonka things, you know? Anyways, but he, before he became rich, had laid out his budget before God and declared to God as a promise that God, until this budget is met, and I'm sure it was semi-fluid, okay, that I will give you a tithe of everything that you give me. And after this, this budget is met, everything else belongs to you. At the end of George Letourneau's life, he was giving well over 90% of his income to the kingdom of God. He continued to live a modest life because he understood that God was using him as a steward and that the wisdom that God had given him to, to build those big machines was not for his own selfish glory here on the earth, but it was for the eternal kingdom's sake. George Letourneau had his priorities right. And he was faithful in the unrighteous mammon. And I believe God entrusted to him true riches. Number two, honesty. 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 Integrity would be a, another word to throw in here. In Proverbs, again, chapter 10, um, there's so much in the book of Proverbs. There's so much in the Bible about finances. I mean, out of part of salvation in God, Finances is probably the most talked about thing in the Word of God. He who walks with integrity walks securely, but he who perverts his ways will become known. Proverbs 20, verse 10 says, Honest scales, honest weights and skills are the Lord's. All the weights in the bag are his work. That was 16, verse 11. But Proverbs 20, verse 10 says, Diverse weights and diverse measures are both alike. They're an abomination to the Lord. Now, the first verse we looked at talked about integrity, and in that if you're not walking in integrity, what will eventually happen? It'll become known. How many of you have ever heard of painters who water down their paints? Did you ever hear about people like that? Okay. It eventually becomes what? Known. And those painters who do those kind of things tend to do what? Move. Move. I mean, that's when we, we in this area, we, we refer to the, the Irish um, travelers, uh, yeah, gypsies. Don't, don't pick on gypsies. I'm a gypsy. I'm part gypsy. I'm about 12.5% gypsy, really, and for true. And so we don't have a product like that. Anyways, so they're Irish travelers. And um, anyways, they're from Ireland. They're not from Romania. They're not from the Croatian. They're not, they're not true gypsies. Anyways, um, anyways, but the term gypsy became that term, and that's why they were called it. Because they would seek to what? Cheat people. Okay? And so these Irish travelers, I mean, it's been nationally known, they travel all over the place with inferior products. Do you understand? And so they'll water down their paints and they'll go in and they make more money on the, the paint. But what happens in a few years? It all washes off. It's destroyed. It just peels because it's not good paint. It's been watered down. Eventually, your integrity is found out. God says, if you have an honest weight and an honest skill, then you're operating according to his principles. In other words, it doesn't change. And i got to really struggle. I mean, I have to work this one because, honestly, when I walk into somebody's house and I give them a bid, I may walk into the house of somebody who is what? Poor. And somebody who is rich. If I offer one weight and one scale to this person and one weight and one scale to this person, then which of these two guys am I? Am I the abomination? Or am I the delight 
I'm the abomination. Now, I understand that I have the, uh, the privilege as, a, as an owner of the, my company to do what? To give a discount. Okay? But, and I've done that, but I am honest with the person right up front, this is my daily rate. But I understand the situation that you're in, and I want to help you. So I'm going to take that part out of my, my profit, and I'm going to give you a discount. I have the right to do that. But I'm going to use the same skill and wait. I'm not going to go on the other side to the rich man and say to him, well, I only charge $500 a day normally, but I know these people can squeak a little bit. And so for them, it's $700 a day. If I do that, I'm number two. I'm the abomination to God. Honesty is very important when it comes to the financial acquisitions. Again, we talk about what is your name worth? What's your integrity? Years ago, I shared about the integrity of a painter. Does anybody remember what it was? How do you, how do you the, the determination of the integrity of a painter? It's inside the closet around the corner. How many of you have ever gone into the new home, walked in your closet, turned around to make sure that they painted the trim? I, I, was, I was convicted of that years ago when we started this work and I was painting a house. And you know what? There's nothing worse than painting closets. Because who uses closets? Who cares? You know? And so here I am, and people don't understand this, but I have to count when I'm, in fact, I, we have a big job starting tomorrow with a, a, a larger home. And, and I have got, and they want their closets painted. And I've got to count those closets as at least the three quarters of a room. Because I've got to go into that closet and I've got to cut it. I've got to cut at the ceiling. I've got to cut around all the trim. In the closets anymore, they've got just equal to me on a trim as a, as a room do. And then I've got to do what? I've, I've got to cut the corners and then I've got to roll. Well, rolling is fast, y'all. I mean, we could roll this room in no time flat. What's going to take the time in painting this room is cutting it in. Does that make sense? And so people don't understand it. It's just a closet. You go into that closet. I'm going to spend just as much time in that closet cutting as I am in your room. And so it's an honest scale. Does that make sense? And I have to kind of lay that thing out there and, and, and calculate it and then show to the person and say, this is what I'm charging you, and this is the reason why. Honest scales, integrity. Well, I got into that because I'm talking about the closet. So as I go into the closet, the Lord challenged me when I was trying to just, man, this is really, God just really rebuked me. What's your, what's your name worth? If somebody walked in here and turned around and saw you shortchange the closet, is that what you wanted to be? No, God, you're right, because you see this closet. Nobody else may ever see this closet, but you see the closet. And I'm supposed to perform my work to your honor and to your glory. And so if anybody, nobody else ever knows, you know. And you're the one that I'm striving to please. Better is the poor who walks in his integrity than one who is perverse in his ways, though he be what? Rich. Sometimes we have an improper standard. We have a standard of the world. We think that as long as we're rich, the ends, or the, the, the ends would justify the means. It's not the case. Thirdly, diligence. In Proverbs 10 again, we read, He who has a slack hand becomes what? Poor. But the hand of the diligent makes rich. Proverbs 12, verse 11 says, He who tills his land will be satisfied with bread, but he who follows frivolity is devoid of understanding. There's also the, the proverb that we're not going to look at. It talks about the one um, who, who goes out hunting, and he doesn't do what? He doesn't roast what he got. That's exactly, he doesn't eat it. He lets it what? Spoil. Okay? And it, there is a part of diligence. You know, we talk about type A personalities and all this kind of stuff, and it's not becoming one who is um, um, a, um, a holic, a workaholic. We're not talking about a workaholic, someone who is, who's always tied to his business, okay? But we're talking about somebody who's what? They're diligent. They're industrious. Industriousness is a great word, Okay? Talks about redeeming the what? Time. Why? The days are evil. Okay? And so what am I doing with my time? Am I squandering time? God taught me years ago when I drove the truck that in five minutes I could pull into a yard 
I could get out of my truck, I could go into the warehouse, I could deliver my freight, they could sign everything off, and I could be back in my truck and I'm on the road. I could do all that in five minutes. Five minutes was not a what? A waste of time. Do you get it? And so if I have six five-minute periods, I have what? 30 minutes. But if I every time I come to a five-minute period, I think, oh, I can just waste this period. I haven't got anything to do. Now, understand, Bob wastes a lot of time. And people talk about, I'm a lazy person. I know some people have said to me, no, clearly you're not lazy. Oh, yeah, clearly I am lazy. You don't know me. I understand I have these things that I've got to do. And so I have jobs that I've got to do and, and, and people that I've got to go serve. And so I'll do that because they're on my books and I've got to pre prepare a message for Sunday. And I'm going to do that. You understand? But give me some, some, some slack time. Bob can prove very easily that he's what? He's lazy. See, integrity, we've moved on, but integrity is who you are when what? Nobody's watching. Or for the painter, it's who you are in a place that nobody will, will see. Well, the same concept of diligence here in laziness. It's who are you when you have time to squander. Do you get it? It's not a matter that somebody else is setting your agenda and you're just marching forward and you're doing it. I mean, you, yes, I understand that there are people who are just totally have no, no moral standards at all and don't do any work, okay? But the real measure is when you've got that free time, are you going to invest it or are you going to squander it? Same thing with money. What are you going to do with the money? With the acquisition, are you going to be diligent in acquiring the funds? Or are you going to be slack and just kind of hope that what? God just makes it come. You know, just God just going to make it come. It's kind of what I was talking with the teenagers on, on Wednesday night about learning God's word. You know, years ago when, when Matthew, okay, so now he's what, 20, 20 years old, and he was a, a new sparky and, uh, that age group, in, in, during the summer program, he was memorizing 2 Timothy 2.15, which you all know from the, hopefully it's the Wanaki verse, right? The study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Well, when he quoted it, he quoted it lightly dividing the word of truth. You know? He didn't, it was big words, he didn't get it, you know, so study to show yourself approved unto God, lightly divining the word of truth. And I, I kind of chuckled back then, but right afterwards I thought to myself, you know, you hit on a kid. That's how most people try to learn the word of God. They try to lightly divine it. It's like sticking it under the pillow at night and hoping they're getting it by osmosis. They're not opening it up and reading it. They're not seeking to rightly divide a word of truth. They're just hoping that God gives it to them by divine inspiration. Sometimes we do that with our financial resources, too. Though I am not supposed to be focusing on the unrighteous mammon of the world, the reality is that God still has a purpose for me in life. In men... The very first thing that God did for man was do what? No, he didn't give him a woman. That was the second thing. He gave him a job. He put him in the garden and said, work. <laughs> he said, work. Be industrious. Be productive. And then while man was working and being productive and being industrious, he said, it's not good for man to be alone. And that's when he made us a, a, a helpmeet, a co-worker, a companion, Someone to encourage us and join us in the labors which God has given to us. But God made man to work. And so, is God being glorified in your labors? Are you diligent in the work that God has placed into your hand to work? Are you seeking to, to, to gather income that you may disperse for his glory? Again, he said to the, to the servant who took the, uh, the mina and stuck it into the earth, what? Wicked. Your wicked servant. You knew I was an austere man, and you knew that I reaped where I did not sow, and yet you didn't take that mina and at least stick it in the bank. So, are you diligent in the acquisition of resources? I confess to you, that's a struggle area for me, because I struggle in this area of, whether I'm focusing on the things of the earth and focusing on the things of God. And in, 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 in spending the time to be a good steward in the, in the area of investments. You know? And so I struggle in that area. And there's a balance in it. 
And we all have to seek to do what? Find that balance. That's exactly right. Such that I'm not overly concerned with the resources of this earth, and yet I am concerned with the resources of the earth because God wants me to be faithful in the unrighteous mammon. Does that make sense? So that's what I said to you. I mean, I, I, I can give you principles, but I can't tell you for your life where, where that's going to play out. You have to decide between you and God. Clearly for George Letourneau, who I've already used as an illustration, he became what? Very wealthy. That's exactly right. Okay, And one could question whether he became overly focused on the things of this earth. I mean, clearly he had a huge empire of a, of a company. But what tells me that he kept his proper focus? What he did with the resources. What he did with the resources that he got from it. He realized that he wasn't going to be the evangelist, that he wasn't the preacher, he wasn't the missionary, quote-unquote, but his job was one of what? Support. That's exactly right. Distribution. That his job was behind the scenes. He was acquiring the means to support other people in the work that God wanted them to do. Diligence. Turn with me to 2 Thessalonians 3, verses 6 to 12. Now, this is written by Paul. Who was Paul? Okay, he was a Pharisee, and what do we know about him as a Pharisee? He was faithful to study the, the, the word, keeper of the law. Okay, and what happened to him one day? He became a follower of Christ. Okay, and then what did he become? An ambassador. An ambassador for Christ. Okay, now if you could rank, and we shouldn't rank. But we tend to do that sometimes and make statements like this. If we would tend to rank the 12 or 13 apostles, however many of you, and if you want to include Matthias or not in that group, okay? If you were to rank them, where does Paul rank? One. Ooh, one. We have a two. Do I hear a three? Do I hear a four? No, we're going to be five. I'm going to be six. No, <laughs> that's right. Okay, one, two. Someone may say even three, okay? Because they might say Peter and John, one and two, and then throw a Paul in there as number three. I don't think anybody would, would sit and just put Paul below three. Because normally you're going to say one or two, because Peter was the apostle to the Hebrews, the Jews, and Paul was the apostle to the, the Gentiles, okay? And so they were the two spokesmen. But you could go very easily and say number one, because clearly the, the, the majority of the epistles of the New Testament were written by Paul. God was using Paul in a mighty way to give out his gospel, right? Well, Paul very clearly could have gone into... The churches and declared what? I shouldn't have to what? Work. I mean, I should, you know, right, you know. But look what he says um, in Second Thessalonians 3, beginning of verse 6. He says, But we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly. Am I saying this right? Yes, okay, that's it. Okay, good. All right. Um, Walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. For you yourselves know how we, how you ought to follow us, for we were not disorderly among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, not because we do not have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now those who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ, that they work in quietness and eat of their own bread. Listen, Paul didn't have to work. He was an apostle. He could have said, listen, it's your responsibility to minister to us. What's it going to take? But he didn't. He said, we worked and we toiled. We labored and toiled night and day so that we wouldn't be a burden. But not just that, but so that we could be an example of what you ought to do. You ought to be industrious. You ought to be using the time, redeeming it, because the days are are evil. And so many of us do not follow that example. We waste time that we could be investing for the kingdom of God's glory. Well, finally, 
for today, anyways, there needs to be contentment as well. And in Proverbs 15, 16 and 17 says, Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure with trouble. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fatted calf with hatred. Let me put it this way. Better is a dinner of green beans. Yeah. Where there is joy and peace. Now, I'm not quite sure how much joy will be in my heart if I'm sitting there eating green beans. Okay? But better is a plate of green beans with joy in my house than a porterhouse where I'm constantly hearing bickering and fighting and my kids are going off in separate directions. Make sense? I mean, you fill in the blanks with whatever sounds like to you and to you, okay? But that's basically what Solomon's saying here, you know? It's better to have a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure. It doesn't matter. Remember, Solomon's the guy who sought out everything, trying to find out fulfillment in life. And what he found out in the end was what? Everything is vanity. And the only thing that ultimately will satisfy you is God himself. And so the same thing goes for you and I. I have got to learn the secret of contentment. I've got to learn what it means to be okay with what I've got. Now, that doesn't mean, again, here's the balance. Because, honestly, if, if, if we say contentment is having no drive and no desire, then I'm never going to do what? Industrious. To get a little bit more. Make sense? Because sometimes laziness can be misconstrued as contentment. So you got to understand this balance thing that's going on. We're told to be industrious. We're told to be diligent. We're told to work and to labor and to go to the ant thou sluggard and consider her ways, right? And to be to be looking toward the harvest, you know, digging in the harvest because we're looking toward the wintertime. So, so I understand those concepts of retirement that I joked about before, that there's, again, the balance that's going on there. But the other side of it, and what's very important is this concept of contentment. Well, Proverbs 30 a passage that God laid on my heart many, many years ago. And, and I pray. I mean, I really do. Every time I come through it, I, I'm reminded of this again. And, and But honestly, my flesh struggles with. Because my flesh says, no, 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 you don't get it. Now, I don't have a problem with number one. I think that kind of makes sense. But number two is a real struggle for me. And, and, the, and, and the, the, the writer of Proverbs, this isn't um, um, Solomon at this point. This is, um, Ith, is it Ithiel? Say it again. You'll find out for me. Okay. I think it's Ithiel. Um, two things I request of you. Deprive me not before I day. I die. Remove, first of all, remove falsehood and lies far from me, because I know that lying lips are what? Abomination to the Lord. Secondly, give me neither poverty nor riches. Now, it was okay in the beginning, right? Give me not poverty, but give me riches. He says, no, I don't want poverty, but Lord... I don't want riches either. Why? I want you to feed me with the food a lot of me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? I've done this all by myself. Or lest I be hungry and, I, and I'm forced to go what? Steal. And I deny your name. I profane the name of my God. That's the secret of contentment. And Paul, we're going to look at it in a moment, says the same thing. The secret of contentment is, is, is not having that total focus on the resources that understanding that God is ultimately the one who does what? Gives me what I have. And so God, in that realm, I just don't want to be poverty where I'm forced to really focus on that stuff. And I don't want to be stinking rich, God, where I take my eyes off of you and I think I'm the one who did all this. To me, again, there's not a message on George Letourneau, just the, the, the continual illustration. I never met the man. But what, a, what an incredible integrity to have before the Lord throughout when you start to have millions at your disposal. And to continue to live a modest life and to use it for the kingdom's glory. I don't know whether I could tell you Bob could do that. I'd like to think I could, but clearly God hasn't placed me in that position to say I could. Does that make sense?
But as we get to the appropriations next week, we'll talk about that a little bit more, about the, the tithings, the offerings, the, and, and, and those kind of things, the first fruits giving that, 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 that there are, and how that applies in our life. But clearly for us right now, there's that secret of contentment. Philippians 4. Turn with me there. We have three verses that we want to look at real quickly here. Philippians 4, where Paul talks about the secret of contentment. Beginning verse 11, he says, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am therewith to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. What's the secret? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Because I'm focusing on Jesus, and he is the paramount thing in my life, as long as I'm focusing on him, it doesn't matter whether I'm eating steak or I'm eating green beans. It doesn't matter whether I'm having a bowl of porridge or I'm having three eggs, a steak, and a bowl of grits. Make sense? As long as I got Jesus, and as long as I'm focusing on Jesus, I'm good. I'm good. And when you start to live like that, the world sees it. The world understands it. And they realize that you've got something that they haven't got. Because as much as they got, they're still not content. They're still looking for the bigger house, the bigger boat, the bigger this, the bigger that. More of this, more of that. And you're sitting there with nothing and you're content. And I mean, you're just, you're, your family's having a blast. Because the focus is Jesus and not the things of the world. Because the world is always going to come out with something you haven't got. When you go to buy a computer, you better know one thing when you walk out the door. That it's already antiquated. I mean, you may have bought it right now, but I'm telling you, somewhere on this earth, they've just designed something that make your computer antiquated. I was a computer science major. I mean, back in 83 to 87, right? I mean, in 1987 is when I bought my, my first laptop, not laptop, my first home computer. And I mean, and I went big on this thing. I spent $2,500, $3,000 on this thing. And I had an 80 meg hard drive. 80 megs, man. I was... I mean, most people, the best they could do is 40 megs, but I doubled it. I had an 80 meg hard drive. And right now, I mean, I got how many terabytes sitting in the corner of my, of my dining room? I mean, a gigabyte. There was a, one computer at that time up in the Northeast that had a gigabyte. It was as big as my house and bigger. So unless you think that you got the world by the tail, you'll never get it. It's always bigger and better. And if your focus isn't on Jesus, you will never have contentment. First Timothy 6, Paul says to Timothy regarding the, the riches of this world. First Timothy chapter 6, beginning at verse 6, he says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can do what? Carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. Now understand that money is not evil. Look at verse 10. It's the what? The love of money, which is the root of all kinds of evil. It's when we are focused on it, and we love it more than we love God, that becomes the issue. Not having a lot of money. But Paul says, listen, if, if I have food and I have clothing, I should be what? I should be all right. Because God has met my what? My needs. My needs. God is gracious and many times also meeting our what? Our greeds. You know, Phyllis shared that years ago from a, a guy, a pastor or a Sunday school teacher up in, that she knew up in New York. And I loved it. I mean... God promised to meet my needs, but, you know, he's so gracious that many times he meets my, my greeds. But even when he does that, I tend to be what? Discontent. I will always want just a little more. And that's the, the discontentment, right? The definition of discontentment, just a little more. That's the American way. 
Let's finish up with the book of Hebrews 13, verse 5. Hebrews 13, verse 5. It says, You have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. No. I'm in the wrong chapter. Thank you very much. You're right. I'm thinking that is not what I read yesterday. 13, verse 5. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Do you ever wonder, I mean, how does that come in? I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Where does that quote come from? Go ahead, look in your references. Deuteronomy, okay. Deuteronomy 31. It's also from Joshua chapter 1. Deuteronomy 31 and Joshua chapter 1, are, it's both stated to the same individual, and that was Joshua. And it's referring to him going into the land and God promising that he would always be with him. And so you sit there and you say to yourself, now, okay, now how, how did the writer, potentially Paul or whoever it was, the writer of Hebrews, apply this here? You know, be content with the things that you, you have. For it's written, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Well, if we understand everything we've just gone through, if my focus is who? Is God. Then it won't matter where I am at, even financially. I will be what? Content. What's covetousness? It's wanting what somebody else has because I don't have it. Does it make sense? So, where are you in this financial reflection. Who's the Lord of your bank account? Whose disciple are you? Whose counsel do you trust and follow? We talked about that last week. In looking to those parables, are you the faithful servant? Or would you be the wicked, slothful one? How well are you reflecting Christ in the acquisition of your finances? And finally, is there a need for repentance? Change in the way you, you think. If there is... My prayer is that you would. It may not be a matter of salvation. It may be that coming through these series that you may be challenged with the fact that you're really not saved. He's really not the Lord of your life, period. But it may be very well be that, you know, again, it's a challenge to us as believers. You know, it's a gathering of believers. Are we glorifying God with what we own? And we ought to be. The world ought to see a difference. The light ought to be shining brighter and brighter as it gets darker and darker. Let's thank the Lord. Father, thank you for the resources which you've given to us. We overflow, Lord, um, abundantly beyond what we could ever imagine. Lord, there are countless people in this world who yearn for the daily bread, who when they pray and say, give us this day our daily bread, they mean it. And Lord, we can speak it. But clearly we struggle with discontentment and always wanting just a little bit more. Forgive us for that, Father. Forgive us for not using the unrighteous mammon in a means that is glorifying to you, rather that is appealing to ourselves, to our own lusts. You said that that sin happens when we're drawn away of our own lusts, and we, we give way to it. And we know, Lord, that there is the war that, that goes within us. To want to do of the flesh is within us but still to want to do of your spirit is there as well. And the lust and the flesh lust against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And that these are contrary to one another so we cannot do the things that we would. But God, we call to you, you who began the good work in us, that you would continue to perform it to the day of Christ. And Lord, that you would help us to first have the, the hunger and desire to reflect you in our finances, in the boldness and the strength to do so. That we would be able to join Paul in understanding, knowing both how to be abased and how to abound, that the secret of contentment is focusing on you. That we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Lord, I pray 
that you would cause this body to be a, a brilliant reflection of your grace to this community, individually and collectively. That laborers would be being sent into your field locally, globally, that we would be seeing souls saved for your kingdom's glory, the true riches, Lord, those things which are being laid up in heaven and not looking to our own little bank accounts and our own uh, fields and our own palaces. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for the gift of salvation. You have made us so rich eternally. Help us to invest it for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.